1: Welcome back to Geekish Cast, World's Heavyweight Champion of Geek Talk on the Internet. I'm your host, Jeremy, and joining me today is Bobby DelRito, uh, creator and showrunner of IRL, the series. What's happening, Bobby? Come on, buddy. Let's see here. You and I kind of met through the people behind My Roommates and Escort. You are yes. on that, um, but you are also a creator of your own web series. So why don't you tell me a little bit about your uh, acting and filmmaking background?
0: Uh, okay, so uh, just so you know, I'm in the tub right now because that's how we roll here in Canada. We do everything in bathtubs.
1: That's probably why you're all so relaxed.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah.
0: Makes work very weird, uh, but it's fun.
1: Yeah. Uh,
0: I've been an actor for 20 years. Uh, I've been a writer as well pretty much that whole time. Um, yeah, I've made a lot of films and Plays and acting a bunch of stuff, and I, I started getting into the web game, I guess, like a few years ago. And then, um, I made a series called IRL. Um, and actually, Katie Ullman was in one of the episodes of that. And then, Katie with Trish Renoni decided they would make this show called My Roommates and Escort. And then, Katie asked me if I wanted to be in that, and I said yes. And uh, and both of our, our shows have actually done pretty well, and Stephanie Baird. who who played Megan in my Recent in Escort. She's also one of the key producers in both series. So there's quite a lot of overlap between our our two productions. Um, And it's great because we're all friends and we support each other. And I think it helps both projects.
1: No, I think that's outstanding. Um, I know a lot of filmmakers and web series makers that I meet are based out of your your neck of the woods there in Toronto. So it's obviously you guys have a heavy talent pool to pull out of.
0: Yeah, I... I'm not exactly sure why that is. I don't know. It has something to do with just, there's a lot of people who want to make stuff here and you know, everything is funded by the government. Mm-hmm. So, which is good and stuff gets made, but I think because of it, it also causes some frustration in the indie world because you kind of can't, you know, the government will fund sort of only like certain kinds of projects So, if your project's too edgy or or maybe, you know, I mean, in a way, like, when the government funds your your project, it's kind of an advertisement for the government, right? Sure. So, it means stuff that's kind of not an advertisement for the government doesn't really get made. So, I think because of that, we have a really strong counterculture. Uh, So, our independent community, especially in Toronto, is thriving. I mean, there's just so many people making stuff.
1: Yeah, um, I definitely know, so, and not just even in the indie scene, but, like, also uh, the Killjoys and other mainstream television properties come out of that market as well.
0: Yeah, man, I mean, Toronto's exploding right now. I I think it's actually the highest production levels we've had, like, ever
1: in the history of Toronto. Yeah, it wouldn't shock me to see that. Um, I, I think you guys have something kind of similar to what we have here in the States, whereas we've got L.A. and New York. You know, you guys have uh, Vancouver and Toronto, where you've got these two just like hotbeds of creative energy or film filmmaking that are kind of almost slugging it out. But everybody seems to get along even uh, even better up there than they do down here.
0: Yeah, well, I, look, I can't speak for how it's down there. But it's funny, in a way, Toronto and Vancouver are almost two different industries. Because, um, I mean, geographically, obviously, they're really far apart. Mm-hmm opposite ends of the country pretty much just like you guys uh you're a little further away maybe but um but like i don't know anybody
1: who's vancouver like so,
0: some people will come here from vancouver they're amazing and they've had you know 20-year careers 10-year careers and i've never even heard of them right uh and vice versa but it's funny because like every year it seems to be like, oh, Vancouver's got more productions. Oh, this year Toronto has more productions, and they kind of compete against each other?
1: Oh, well, yeah. Well, like um, you were saying, there's also the Canadian government and the provinces, they have um, grants and loans and things set, and tax credits set up for filmmakers and series But I mean, yeah.
0: They paint them, right? So, they'll actually compete against other provinces, so one province will cut theirs by 5%, and someone else has to cut. Like, it's a whole thing, right? Because... You know, especially if you're, when you're – because a lot of service production comes up here. So a lot of American productions will come up here. Oh, yeah. Save a lot of money, right? It's mm-hmm. like um, – I mean, what is the dollar now? It's like 70 cents U.S. or something?
1: The last time I looked, yeah. Uh, well, we're planning on a trip to Vancouver in August, and everything we're looking at, we're paying 70 cents on the on the dollar, roughly.
0: So if you were spending $100 million up here mm-hmm. – I mean,
1: maybe you wouldn't do that, but you would, probably that's not $30 one trip.
0: million.
1: Dollars. Yeah, I probably wouldn't do it in one trip, but, you know, it's something to take advantage of, absolutely. Come
0: on, man, you got to live a little.
1: Not a little, you know. <laughs> you know how many bottles of whiskey I'd buy? Sanders. I'm sorry? Is, you know how many bottles of whiskey you could buy with $100 billion? I'll
0: sell
1: you one. Oh. <laughs> it's got to be more than one. Um, let me ask you this, though. So when you're doing a web series like that, um, I imagine you guys are kind of small to be looking at a lot of the tax credits and this, that, and the other. Are you self-funding, or how does that work for a web series?
0: Well, so it's funny. So my roommates in Escort um, is is definitely a web series. Um, they're definitely they've had some really good meetings that I'm, I'm probably not really supposed to talk about mm-hmm. um, on, on the television side. But I will say for IRL, um, we actually sold to television oh. before we were web.
1: Fantastic.
0: So we were like a short form television series, I guess you could say, before we were a web series. Mm -hmm. Uh, They were obviously it was like at the same time, but essentially there's two versions. There's a version that's across Canada on the Bell on a channel called Five TV One, um, which basically works as sort of like a clean version of our YouTube version. Okay. Um, But some some there's a couple episodes that are, are. very, very different on the TV side than they are on the web. So, I don't know. And like, so there's a lot of funding too, for, even just for web, but there's some, even just you take like Canadian money, you you could get up to half a million dollars to do a web series in Canada right now.
1: Hmm. That's not bad. That's you know? not bad at all. Well, I got an so, idea for a superhero series where you never see them actually superheroing. We, we, should, we should probably talk about this. It's not a bad idea. <laughs> well, so, um, you know, you've been involved in plays and, uh, you know, the web series now. Let's go ahead and talk about your show, IRL. What was, what is the core concept behind your show, IRL the series?
0: Um, so, it's basically about how social media has disrupted society forever.
1: Mm-hmm. And,
0: um, like, it, you know, it, it's about social media, And it wasn't like overtly this kind of like dystopian thing, but it just, we just kept coming back to that. Um, the way that we, we made the show was kind of interesting. We, um, I basically posted on Facebook in this popular film group of actors and I just wanted to do a project. And I was like, who wants to, wants to do something? And I thought maybe five to 10 people would say, okay, let's do a short film. And then I said, anybody who, who replies on this Facebook post, um, I'll, I'll find a way to work with you. And then 65 people signed up in 36 hours. That's something. And I went, oh, shit. <laughs> uh, but it was also cool, right? Because So all of a sudden, I made all these people that were really into making something interesting. So then I needed to have sort of a, an idea that was large enough to justify so many people, uh, many of whom were actors. So I started... Um, Basically, we started improvising work along uh, the theme of social media, and we would have like, you know, we would meet twice a week for maybe six months, something like that, and we would have sort of like academic discussions, and we would improvise stuff, we would joke around, we would we, would, we created this Facebook group, and we'd send articles to each other. It became this really interesting sort of sociological experiment loosely based around social media. Mm-hmm. Um, and then later on I ended up putting a writing room together once we sold the show to television, but we we just naturally hit upon this sort of, like, dystopian mandate in a way. I mean, there were people in the cast that really wanted to, like, have more positivity, um, but I don't, I, I don't know. I don't feel like IRL is positive or negative. I think it's just that, like, you know, we've got, like, what, five or six writers plus our cast of 35 on the show, so... I think that a lot of people have concerns about social media and how it's used and look, there's great opportunities for it as well, but it it's kind of a scary thing. I mean, it's completely changed the world. I mean I think Trump is the president
1: because of social media. Well rightly it, or wrongly. Yeah, it definitely had a had a hand to play in it, that's for sure.
0: You know, I mean I don't know if it's true, but I heard that his whole he had no ground game. Apparently everything he did with social media was like I mean, all the attention, you know, I don't know what Trump's fortunes are going to be for the future and whatever, but I will say there's never been a president who's gotten more attention ever. Yeah. Not negative attention, but in his world, I don't know if he sees the difference between negative and positive attention.
1: Well, no, because he's from the business world where all attention is good attention. Right. Yeah, I mean, he's from you know any headline you get when you're a when you're a real estate developer in New York, any headline you get is good good headline. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I was talking to uh, uh, Craig David Wallace, one of the creators of in the Book of Pure Evil" a few weeks back, and he right. told me, he told me he goes, "I don't even he goes, I'm not even paying attention to Canadian politics. I can tell you more right now about American politics than I can Canadian politics." Oh, I'm the same. Yeah, which, you know, to me is just, like, insane, because I'm hoping you guys haven't heard about what's going on. I'm just like, fuck, we'll yeah, have get through four years, maybe nobody will know, maybe we'll be okay.
0: No, man, I, I'm playing um, a lead role in a play in October called Grab Him by the Pussy, uh, written by my friend, Ruban Sologix, who's actually a New York guy, but he's in Toronto right now, mm-hmm. and um, it's all with Trump. You yeah. Can Canadians Kna- eat it up? Oh, yeah. We know a lot about U.S. politics. We digest a lot of American media up here.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, most of you guys, I mean, because of the parallel height at which Canadian population centers are in, are actually in major American media uh, network areas. Right. Like, you know, if you're in Saskatchewan, you get, you know, TV from Detroit, you know. Um, Not only that. And this is going to be what freaks people out the most. I don't normally talk politics real heavily on here, but the things we do as America do affect everybody around us since right. the since the end of World War II, you know. Um, and everybody kind of relies on us to. I, I, I don't want to overstate it, but they kind of rely on us to at least not be a bunch of goddamn madmen shifting from left to right as quickly as possible.
0: Oh yeah, of yeah. course.
1: You know, I mean, Angela Merkel had to just recently say, hey, look, I guess here in Germany, we're going to have to go it alone now. We can't rely on the Americans. We can't rely on the UK. Yeah, I mean, and it's too too bad, right? Because it's Mm -hmm. like I think that there's an
0: idealism about America, like it's still that land of opportunity, the way it's marketed, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think to put who's, you know, who's obviously a crazy human being in charge of so much potential, it's very disappointing. Yeah.
1: Well, I'm hoping, I'm hoping. And I really cross my fingers on this that all whatever damage, potential for damage there is, can be kept to a minimum. And at most, what we come away with is a diminished presidency and a, a president that has less power, and maybe governors that have a little more ability to enact policies that are better for their local populace than a top-down approach. That's, I think, that's the best-case scenario that we could get, though. I hope so, but I will say, coming
0: back to social media a little bit, and Mm -hmm. I I think it's related, is that I really do think that we just live in a new world now, right? Oh, absolutely. My personal thesis is that social media has disrupted society. Not to say that it hasn't done some good things, but I just think it's changed every rule and every industry and every way of communicating between humans, and I feel like there's, there's almost no precedence. I can get through a lot of crazy shit. In a way, it's almost like it's like a digital metaphor for, for global warming, right? It's like the weather patterns are so fucked up now that you can't be like, oh, but in the 50s, this happens. Like, yeah, it doesn't matter because now, because of the global warming, um, it could snow any day. It could rain any day. It could be really hot any day. doesn't matter what the season is. I feel like that's what social media has done to the world as well, right? It's kind of like, Entire industries could disappear tomorrow. If you told me every fucking physical newspaper in the world is going to stop being printed, like, next Thursday, I would be like, okay. Because that's how quickly information is being disseminated right now. Oh, sure. And and it's all you need to do is just act very quickly, and you can. And then, you know, people are saying, oh, this Trump thing is going to take a long time. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he got impeached in three years or if he got impeached in three days. This is the world that we're in now. There are no rules anymore.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, you know, you say there's really no no comparable precedent or anything to compare it to. I kind of wonder if, and I'm not the first person to say this. I'm trying to think of who to credit with it, but I don't remember. But somebody has said that, you know, they purposefully create, you know, apps, Facebook, Twitter, these things, to trigger dopamine releases in our heads, like intentionally to do this. Oh, uh-huh. Wow. which would then make the closest parallel I can come to would be uh, big tobacco. Oh, wow. you, you, and, well, and cereal companies, uh, you intentionally create an addictive, deadly product for your consumer base. Uh, wow. but that being said, yeah, but that being said, I think there's also some great things to come out of the, uh, you know, the information revolution, like, you know, well, where would where would a filmmaker like yourself gone before YouTube, or, you know what I mean, these small places. I should have had
0: you in my writing room for IRL. Well,
1: I'm here next You're like time.
0: Quiet. You're quietly very, very contrarian, eh? Me? <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> I don't know I where you get that from. I didn't
0: get a chance to listen to you before, but now I'm like, I'm going to go back and listen to all your shit, because your point of
1: view is, is quite interesting, um. Yeah. So it's just it's just those things I look at that, you know, there are things. Well, you know, not trying to get too far off that, but you know, where would a small filmmaker with a tiny budget and a fun, well, could make movies now with an iPhone? Obviously, you could have done that before eleven years ago, right? Um. But you know, you also because of that same revolution putting a camera in everybody's hand, you now have a place to also release those movies as well, YouTube and uh, Daily Motion. Now, of course, if you're filming a movie on your iPhone, your sound is going to suck, and you should know better than that. So don't do it. But well, not necessarily. If you felt if you because you do picture and sound different, like separately, right? Right, I mean, but you still you still see people going, oh, but to make a web series, and then they don't mic their people. You know, yeah, right. but people. I mean, I mean, stupid people, but stupid people do that too. Like they'll,
0: they'll get like a really nice camera, and then get a shitty audio person. Yeah, that's true. And then, and then you're screwed, or they won't do the proper post audio, or. I don't know. I mean, look, making a film is an interesting thing, but I do take the point, though, about um, platforms and the opportunities, and as much as I I can be um, a contrarian, um, for sure, as well, I also do see the benefits. I mean, look, we've never met in real life, and you're in California, and I'm in Toronto, Canada, and we're having this great conversation Mm -hmm. over what? Like, I knew a guy, and I did this thing, and then somebody... DM'd you on Twitter probably, and here we are,
1: you know. Yep. Oh no, I, that's the thing I enjoy about it. It's um, you know, ten years ago when my wife and I discovered Corner Gas, podcasting was just barely a thing anybody really knew about at the time. And now, right. now our side podcast is a Corner Gas show, and I've talked to three of the leading eight actors from the show. Never even would have considered it, you know. Great. Uh, when I was a little boy watching Land of the Lost, did I ever think I was going to talk to Holly on the telephone and it put that up for people to listen to? No. But, you know, now, because the world is so small, and because, and this is your thing, you're talking about how fast things change now. Yeah. You know, we're almost to a point where national, well, you know, state and provincial borders don't matter anymore. No way. Yeah. And pretty soon here, national bound borders aren't going to really matter much either. You know, because we're all doing business internationally. We all talk, you know, we've got, you've got friends in the States. I've got friends in Canada and the UK. We're all moving stuff back and forward. And most of the modern economy is just shipping boxes to and from Asia. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, And really, the thing that's kind of keeping, well, and, you know, international commerce. You know, depending on where you come from, you could say that has kept the peace better than anything else ever has in human history. Right. It's kind of the the modern equivalent of the Pax Romana, where Rome just kind of said, "Hey, I've built these roads; don't go screwing around anywhere near them, or we're gonna you know burn your village to the ground."
0: It's interesting, right? So there's something that sometimes people do called an international co-production, mm-hmm. which I'm sure you can just guess what it is. Right, it's just it's people from different countries making a film together. Yeah. Um, uh, but you know, again, like I've done, I think we were talking before, but I've done I think four or five podcasts in the United States, mostly in California, actually in the last like, two months from here, from Toronto, Canada. And today, you know, I kind of did it to be a bit glib and partly because I was, I was really dirty, but I wanted to be like, I'm going to do a podcast in California from my bathtub yeah. and that'll be my Facebook status tomorrow.
1: Yeah, and that's um, I literally did it in the bathtub. Yeah, well, it's just it's it, to me it is amazing, but I am also aware of the the pitfall. Well, you know what? Let, let's talk about this for a minute because I watched a handful of episodes from your series. Okay, kind of want to focus on the first one without tipping my hand too much. Sure, um, and I don't want to give away too much, um, but I could definitely see that. What is that series on Netflix? Dark Mirror, Black Mirror. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so very very similar feeling. I mean nobody fucked a pig in this, but I got a very similar feeling. Not like, yet. Not yet. Not yet. Yeah. Well I'm gonna talk about the one particular episode though. Right. You know? yeah. Again, don't want to tip anybody's hand. Um right. but I got a very a very, you know, cyberpunk on the bad edge of things kind of feeling from it. And yeah. Now, can you tell me without, well, we don't want to ruin this for anybody, but basically sure. what you've got is a, a young lady looking at her computer and getting all sorts of terrible messages from people and then checking back to her phone and getting not as terrible a message. Right. Um, but coming away from it, was, did that end with, uh, was that a fantasy scene or did she self-harm at the end of that? I, I a little. a well, little, or so we're, leaving I, that, we're leaving that questionable.
0: I wrote, I wrote that, and we do have an arc. It's interesting because the season is a, is an anthology season, right? So pretty much every episode is a different genre. We introduce lots of different characters uh, who don't necessarily know each other, but we do have sort of intersecting plot lines um, that hinge on certain events. That if you watch the entire season, um, certain things do pay off. So I'm not going to say. I will say, um, if you get a chance, try and finish the show. Um, It it's worth it, and I think the fact that your curiosity was so piqued in the first episode makes me feel really good because that was it was really important for me to set up a number of themes and ideas, and I actually I wrote that episode. Um, But you know, I had a really amazing team of writers, and we all worked pretty hard to. You know, accomplish two things, which is to have this sort of anthology where every episode is its own thing, but also everybody is sort of part of the same universe and the, the same sort of general linear arc. So, I'm, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts after watching the whole thing.
1: Oh, sure. Okay. Well, I'll definitely I'll be back in touch um, after I finish it then. Um, and, you know, just so the vibe. Can...
0: The vibe is that you got the vibe
1: perfectly though. Well. Oh yeah, absolutely. You definitely have. I mean. Each episode that I have seen, I can't remember now if it's four or five, I don't, I don't remember off the top of my head, each one has a separate feel and a style, and I took, and I, I think it fell apart after a couple of them, but it kind of also seemed like each one focused on a different type of social media interaction. Yes. So, and, mm-hmm. so without, this doesn't really give anything away
0: for the season, but... One thing that was very important to me, I'm, I'm, I can be quite heady. Um, and I think maybe as a, as a as a, showrunner, it's it's good to be heady if you're making kind of the stuff that we're making, right? So what I wanted to do, especially having been in rehearsal with all these actors for, for six months to a year, I mean, we spent a lot of time. And then I had a number of story ideas, and then I distilled them down to a smaller number with a group of independent writers who were not part of the ensemble. Mm-hmm. So we kind of started from scratch, but we were start it was almost like I went ahead and wrote like a shitty teen novel with my great cast and then I went to my brilliant writers and I went, "Hey guys, I wrote a shitty teen novel. How can we turn this into Shakespeare?" So one thing that um, that I one of the first things I did was divided all of social media into four quadrants of thought. So, basically, I went through all the stories that I was interested in telling and how could we do it better. And then I was like, let's find the commonalities. And we identified four quadrants um, which kind of defined all the stories available in the social media sphere. Now, this is obviously arbitrary. This is our own way to dissect it. Um, But we made sure there are 12 episodes. um, There are three episodes from each quadrant randomly selected, and, and there, again, there, it, it was really fun to put together, and it's a, you know, it's a, it's a little bit heady. Um, and my original intention was not only to have the quadrants and have each episode function as its own autonomous story, but a part of a larger whole, but ideally what I wanted to do was reorder uh, each quadrant and kind of have a different narrative, so that there would essentially be five narratives. There would be the one linear arc, one through twelve, And then I would have these four other quadrants of thought kind of like showing like four other streams and themes for the social media experience, which was very kind of difficult to do. And and all the writers were kind of like, how the fuck are we going to do that? It's like, I'm not sure. But Anyway, I think that what we settled upon was a compromise. um, But I think that there are strong... Uh, like thematic differentiations um, that are, are quite um, present. If you watch the show, right, you really do. Then you don't. You can't really identify it because it's a little esoteric. But you definitely feel that, right? You go, oh, like there's different. There's very clear tones in in some episodes, and you can see how some of them are linked that way. In the way they feel. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm.
1: No, um, I, I, so that
0: was yeah, that was something I really wanted to, to, to execute.
1: Yeah, and from what I've seen, it, I would say you've done it. I mean, from from what I've you know looked at, um, because each piece did have, well, obviously the whole the whole series based around one kind of if it, if it were music, it'd be called a motif, where you have your your underlying strong structure that everything's related to this, and then each piece kind of builds on top of that, and either self references or doesn't. But it goes back to its original topic. Ah, oh, that's so good. I like that. Yeah. I like that. yeah. Um, that's right. Yeah, and I had to use the word motif" because you got very thoughtful and uh, wordy on me there, and I realized that I was kind of going to start talking about picking my nose or something. So I purposely elevated the conversation in my own head at that point. Yeah, you did You did well. Yeah, well, yeah, you got to do what you can. <clears throat> so overall, are you finding people to be pretty receptive to IRL? Yeah. What's, what's kind of been your experience so far?
0: I think it's polarizing in many ways. I think it's polarizing from episode to episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for whatever reason, I think not so many people are invested in watching the whole series arc, which is disappointing, because, especially because my favorite episodes are, are episodes 6, 7, and 9. Um, like One's a film noir, and one's a horror like a really, really scathing, you know, like analysis of celebrity. And and I I think that IRL is quite original. Like, you're right. Like something like Black Mirror is definitely, uh, you know, an inspiration, Mm -hmm. somewhat of a muse. But, you know, and even though Black Mirror is somewhat of an anthology, ours is very much an anthology. Like we full on have a black and white, film noir episode, we have a full-on horror episode, we have a full-on thriller. Like, we we really... Um, we really delineate genre. Um, I, I think effectively, but definitely purposefully. In a way that you don't often see, right? Uh, and that that was something that I wanted to pull off because, look, I didn't know that we were going to get any attention or anything. I didn't know we were going to sell the TV. I didn't know any of this shit. So I was like, my motivation... Like I said, I was posting on Facebook and I was going to direct everything. I knew that. So I wanted to, like, have this this challenge of, like, okay, if I have to tackle... I mean, maybe not every episode is a different genre. that's, that's difficult. But maybe there's six or seven different genres in 12 episodes. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's also, like, well, look, as a director, I, now ha- I can now go to, like, I don't know, a, a television company or a, a film company and any genre that they're interested in hiring a director for, like I've got a sample. So that, you know, was kind of a really, I don't know if you want to call it like a selfish motivation, but it, it ended up sort of presenting a really unique creative challenge, which I think creates this really unique experience.
1: Sure. Um, well, I, people don't really know, right?
0: They're like, they're like, are these things linked or not? Like what the fuck is going on? Yeah. The truth is, if you watch all 12 and Bob Lackey who wrote our who wrote episode 12 who did a very very good job of bringing them all together um, you know and he he created his own web series that was nominated for a Canadian screen award which are like our our Emmys and our Oscars combined here in Canada like we had a, an amazing room like two, two of our writers were in the orphan black room after working with us yeah gentleman La won the Emmy for that and
1: yeah. Well, that's part part of what I referenced early on, is that you guys have a talent pool available to you that is really unlike anywhere else, except, you know, maybe periodically shows up here, you know, here in the States or in Hollywood or during really uh, fertile periods in Paris, things like that, you know, where a, an art form really takes off and all these talented people kind of emerge simultaneously.
0: Oh, yeah, and...
1: Look, not to be a prick about it, but like I
0: also have a 20-year career, so I also handpicked people. So when I tell people that my writing room consists of, let's call them emerging, although I think that's a bit insulting because I think they're really good. But I think that I have some of the best. I think if you look back in 20 years and you look at my writing room and my cast, you will see some of the best actors and writers that this country ever had all working on the same show.
1: Yeah. You right. know, I, mean, that's I, I
0: think I identify talent pretty well and I have a lot of relationships. I mean, look, for my, and I, I'm an established guy, right? I'm not starting out. I'm going to be 40 this year. On my post production team, like my editor and sound composer is a two time Grammy nominee named Daryl Bennett, right? My sound editor is a, is an Emmy nominee. Like I have some of the top people in the country working on my show. So, the, you know, when you have that many good people, even though the idea is, it's definitely different and maybe it's a little out there, but it's also like, I think, executed with with polish. Mm-hmm. I do think a lot of people don't really know what it is because they've never really seen anything like it. How do you have, just have a fucking episode that's a black noir, black and white film noir, and how do you have this other episode that, like, it, people don't quite know what to make of it, right? So I think that, I hear the Black Mirror thing a lot,
1: and I get it, but it's also quite different from Black Mirror in lots of ways. As well. Yeah, and I, was, I wasn't I was talking about the story, I was talking about the feeling I came away with was very similar to Yeah. yeah. Um, now, let me ask you this, because this is something I've been dealing with a little bit with Geekish casts because I do you know, people I talk to on my podcast, once a week I get together with some friends, we talk comic books, movies, and TV. And then every week I do an interview with somebody. Then that could be anything from somebody like yourself, you know, a filmmaker or an actor or an actress or a comic book artist or whatever. So when people ask me what my show's about, I have trouble encapsulating it and giving them a bite sized piece. Like, here, here's this, here's what this idea is. Right. Has that, how have you handled that? How do you work with that when you're trying to come up with your three-sentence pitch and to tell somebody what your series is about. How, how do you deal with that?
0: I'm Look, I'm really good at coming up with a three-sentence pitch because I've worked as a writer for 20 years. Right. Mm-hmm. So people are always wanting that. But now, with that said, even though I'm really good at coming up with that pitch, like it's disingenuous because it's basically fucking bullshit. Right, right. right. I, know, I know what you want to hear, and I will say what you want to hear, Like yeah, because I can't. So I, Edward Albee. I don't know if you know Edward Albee, the great American playwright. He recently passed away, um, and you know I remember I saw him. I I started as a playwright before I got into making movies and TV shows and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so my 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 first love is theater, and I I remember as a young playwright uh, having the opportunity to hear Edward Albee speak live. Um, I'm not sure why, but he was in Toronto and there was like this in-conversation with Edward Albee. He was like 20 marks, and I went. And, and I only remember one thing he said, and it was like life-changing. It changed my whole artistic trajectory in one sentence. And somebody asked him, how long should a play be? And this, is, this can be a contentious thing, right? Like, if you think about all the arguments people have about structure for Hollywood screenplays, and you get two writers in a room... And you mentioned structure, and, and some one of them will be dead on the floor by the end of that conversation. So, uh, somebody asked him that, and I, I, I was like, I took out my pen, I was like, I want to know his answer. And he says to me, uh, well, not to me, he says to the whole room, but it felt like he was talking to me. And he said, you know, a play can be two lines long if it's a two-line play. And I was like, brilliant. And you're talking about the guy who wrote Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. You're talking about the greatest living American playwright in the world. And he's basically saying you can do whatever the fuck you want as long as that's the fucking thing you want to do. You know, and I think that it's funny because, like, you know, obviously I'm an artist. I've been an artist for a long time and I know a lot of people in the industry but it's amazing how many artists are half in. And I don't, I don't say this to be insulting, but, like, I know a lot of directors who really want to make sort of, like, avant-garde documentaries, and they're directing commercials and television, which is fine. Those, hard, those jobs are hard to get, and you can do them well. And, but I just think if you really want to, like, shake things up, but you're looking for, like, sort of the fastest way or the easiest way to sort of procure income... It's like you don't get to choose. Like if you're going to be an artist, you got to go all in. Nobody says it's going to be easy, but you got to do what you got to do. I made a feature film called The Market uh, for a very small budget. But you know, before I made that film, I had a, a development deal with an established film company, and you know, they were talking about a one million dollar budget, which you know, I mean, that's a lot of money. So. I was interested, and then but they wanted to make too many changes, and I wasn't going to get to direct, and the whole thing. My movie is is um, it's a conspiracy. You probably really like it. I'll send it to you. Actually, I'll email it to you. It's a conspiracy theory in a way about how the two thousand eight subprime mortgage crisis started, but it's broader than that, right? It's basically an allegory for capitalism. But it's all about, uh, it's all uh, hinged on the premise that, uh, which is true, obviously, that Wall Street, you know, has the power to sort of leverage and affect the financial world internationally. So when they told me that they were thinking of essentially doing a Canadian version of it where they would change it from Wall Street to Bay Street, I went, okay, so you've now missed the entire fucking point of my movie because... Bay we would never have the leverage to create this sort of like conspiracy theory for what could disrupt the entire world financially, and I went to school originally for economics, so I, I know that world quite well, and I researched it well, and anyway, long story short, I walked away, and I made my little film, and I haven't made any money off it yet, but A lot of people think it's fantastic. I've gotten a lot of jobs out of it. I'm very proud of it. I made the film that I'm happy to show when I die, right? Like, it's this little indie film, but it says everything I want. It's really, really vulgar on purpose. Um, But I think that, look, I don't know what the metaphor here is, but I would say if you're a penguin and you always wanted to be a fucking duck, just be a fucking penguin, you know? Like, you gotta do you. You gotta make stuff your way. And if, if the rules are set up in a way where people don't get it, or it's not, my friend Kat Hostick, who's a brilliant filmmaker here, uh, she says, she uses the word digestible, uh, in sort of like a derisive way. You know, if, if you're, if you're trying to like transmogrify your art so you're fucking digestible, then you're no longer an artist. You're digestible, and I think an artist is square. In, in I mean, if, you're, if you happen to, if you happen to align with what the market wants, cool. But I think that an artist makes art.
1: Well, I would say, and I think maybe, maybe I'm following your thought on this, is that you can have art or you can have commerce, and a lot of times people who set out to be artists settle on being commerce or creating commerce. Well, look, what I have to say
0: is slightly different. Mm-hmm. I think we do agree in principle that, you know, yeah, I, I do mean that, but I also think that you can make a lot of money doing your shit. I mean, look at Quentin Tarantino. Oh, sure. There's no way that guy is compromising,
1: right? Well, a little bit. I mean, he didn't, he wanted to, to direct, um, oh, damn it, what's the, it's his favorite movie that, that he wrote, my favorite one that he wrote, uh, the one with Christian Slater and uh, Patricia Arquette. Oh, right, True Romance. True Romance. He wanted to direct that, but nobody would give him a shot at it. Right. Yeah. Uh, the only thing
0: I'll say, though, is that he, like, that was before he ha- he could mm-hmm. do anything. I mean, you're right. I mean, he could have done what I said and, like, fuck you. Yeah. And well,
1: but that's the thing. You kind of have to balance that. I mean, you can be all balls out. And, you know, a lot of people, um, like me, I've always had an artistic streak, but I settled into sales because I also like to drive fast cars. <laughs> you know, and I knew which <laughs> right. one was more important to me, you know. I like to drink, you know, $50 shot whiskey and drive a fast red car. So I, I picked one. Well, for
0: $100 million, my friend.
1: <laughs> know, well, next time I'm up in Toronto and I've got a giant satchel with dollar signs on it, I'll uh, definitely ring you up. Perfect. Yeah. Um, Bobby, so here's here's the thing. I'm just getting over having a head and chest cold. I am really enjoying this conversation, but my voice is going to give out momentarily. I understand. But, I'll call the paramedics. I, I would appreciate it if you would do that. But what I'd like to do, I'd like to have you back on, and I'd like to have you back on sometime soon where we can really kind of dig into some more of this. Um, i
0: love it, dude. I, I think we
1: got a bromance going on here. I, I think maybe. Saying. I think I'm going to get a shirt with your picture on it. I'm gonna to get a to shirt you with your picture on. Yeah, I think I think uh, I think we got something here. I think we we're working on something. Uh, but Bobby, do this for me. Tell everybody where they can find your stuff online, where they can check your movies out. Let's get let's get your links dropped right now.
0: I appreciate that. Okay, so the easiest way is probably on Twitter at, at @BobMan. Um, I'm also on Instagram at, at @BobbyDelRio. Um, we have a Twitter handle at IRL the series. I mean, I have so many things that I'm doing, but. The easiest thing is probably Twitter at Bobman.
1: Okay, um, and I did find uh, your movie. The market appears to be at themarketmovie.com. Yeah, and can yeah, people on Twitter as well? Can people buy okay. that right there, or how is that? How is that? This
0: is where I'm at. I mean, I've been having these conversations with my producers for a while because now, especially now that I'm doing the podcast circuit and mm-hmm. starting to talk about the film, people want to see it. And we're trying to figure out, I don't. to be honest, I mean, maybe sometimes you just ask the fucking world, because I really don't know what to do in this world where the entire film distribution model has changed. And it's like, if you're not on Netflix, you don't exist. And I'm like, surely that can't be the case. I mean, all these great films are being made. You're telling me that Netflix is the only one that matters. There's got to be another way. So we're just trying to figure out how are people watching movies these days? What can, I've even, I mean, my producers are going to hate me for saying this. I've even thought about giving it away for free.
1: <laughs> okay, so a, a couple friends of mine, and they've been editors, writers, and directors since the 90s, okay? And right. they've, they, now, we're talking small budget slasher flicks from the 90s, or a movie called Drive that starred Mark Dacascos in the late 90s. Correct. Um, they have actually hit the point where their movies have fallen off and they don't make a penny off of anything. So they encourage people to watch it on YouTube. But when you're talking about direct media marketing, you know, digital media marketing, there's YouTube has their what they call their red section now, which is their paid-for content. Huh. YouTube will also, depending on the amount of views you get, will also pay you revenue for people coming and viewing your uh, videos for free. Right. My wife and I belong to Amazon, CBS, All Access, Hulu, and Netflix. So I think, I mean, there's there are more options out there. I do know Netflix pays pretty small dollars, though.
0: Well, look, man, I- I'm going to send you my film. I- I'll, like, email to you or DM you or something. Yeah,
1: please do, because we'll. Let we'll... me know
0: what you think, but I-, I think that because you're such an intellectual, like, you're going to dig my film. Like, it's just, it's that kind of thing that. It's so, like, it's so vulgar and aggressive, but it's very clearly an allegory. Mm -hmm. And people who are very, very thoughtful get it. And the people who aren't, like, if you're not quite intellectual, you're kind of like, what the fuck? Like, why are they swearing so much? Like, why are they so mean? But when you realize, no, 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 this is, this is like a metaphor for the way people treat each other, for the way our society is, for the, for the principles upon which we founded our world. The, this is the reason that Donald Trump exists and it can be successful. Then people go, "Whoa!"
1: Yeah. See, we're gonna have we're gonna have to get back together and do this soon because, yeah. uh, you know, they did a thing recently where they took um, uh, the profiles of people who were psychotic, and found that um, many successful CEOs fit into the same profile as oh, right, the dark trait. Yes. The dark triad. Yep. And yeah. there's a, I mean, there's a lot to dig into here. Um, yeah, shit, Bob. I, f- I wish I didn't have the sore throat. I gotta go, but um, I'll tell you what. Let me let's wrap up real quick, and I'll give you my email address and all of that. And then um, after I watch a movie, we'll talk. and We'll get back together, and we'll do this again.
0: I can't wait, brother. Our, our bromance is being immortalized for the world right now. Looks that
1: way. Um, all right, everybody. Well, please go check out Bobby Del Rio. Uh, you know, go check out his movie, The Market. Check out his series, I- IRL, The Series. Go find him on Twitter at, at Bobman. Um, and when you're done with that, remember to go over to iTunes, rate and review us on there. You can find us at geekishcast.com, all on Facebook at facebook.com slash geekish cast and I tweet from at the geekish cast I am on Instagram but I don't know how it works so you'll just see like pictures of my dogs so there you go until next time everybody take care we'll see you then geekish cast is a vias and victor production and it is part of the astro panda productions network you can find us now on soundcloud and on blog talk radio our theme music is taken from the song out to get mine by rain of Zeus. check them out at rain